Hello there and a very warm welcome to Des's Island Discs. In a hectic world, this is a little oasis of calm and nostalgia from our guests who choose pieces of music that remind them of a particular time or story from their life or career. Now, if you're listening on podcast, we cannot play the music because of copyright laws. But really, this is about stories. So let's hear them. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. Now, today's guest is Ireland's leading travel writer and broadcaster. It's a pleasure to welcome Owen Corrie. Now, Owen, your formative years were in Kildare. Tell us about that. Pretty much grew up in uh, our clock beautiful little um, homeland community uh, just in North Kildare, not very far from Selbridge, but very rural. And it was a time of immense change. It was um, North Kildare was being turned into a sort of a dormer community. But our clock kept this amazing uh, rural roots. They would have been a very, very strong hurling club. I don't know. I think uh, hurling and Kildare don't really belong in the same sentence, but they dominated the Kildare Hurling Championship. They once beat the Wexford champions in the Leinster Club. Very GA. Coltus Coltoriere and small two-teacher school, idyllic. And it could have been west of Ireland, it could have been anywhere in Ireland, but it was within reach of Dublin. And, and why do you think it remained rural when, as you see, like Selbridge became a satellite town almost? Selbridge went to 22,000 people. Our clock, um, it, it, it's all about the strength of the community. You saw places that held it around us. You saw places that didn't uh, hold it. Small towns just got overwhelmed. Tallas just across the Dublin border would have a population about 1,500. And it, it, the, the centre, the core little village, got sort of overwhelmed by the housing estates around it. Selbridge came under siege the same way. Um, but what we had really was essentially rural. There were still farmers there. And even though we had big developments like the Kate Club, the Clifford Lines, um, you know, a little bit of Celtic Tiger stuff happened in the early noughties. There were still farmers with uh, slurry tanks driving around <laughs> the road to remind us all where we came from. And the two-teacher school... Your bright boy in school? Yeah, it, it, it happens like that in a small Irish school that when you have two teachers, four classes are put together. So if you're in second class, you hear what fifth and sixth class are doing. And um, it always, I think it helps everyone in the classroom. Uh, there were people who would have been sort of quite academic, to use that terrible phrase. And there were people who had a tremendous community knowledge, uh, great sort of local lore and uh, tremendous local phrases and things like that. And we all got on tremendously well together. It always struck me as odd that the guys who weren't very good at the eight times tables ended up uh, being very wealthy bookies, uh, <laughs> being able to calculate the odds uh, at the next year's Cheltenham Gold Cup eight months in advance. Yeah, well, that's why you are where you are and they are where they are. And Owen, now, I, you and I, were in, we were in college together, so I, I knew you as from 17 or 18 onwards or whatever. But happy one, days. Yeah, there were happy days. But one extraordinary thing about you, and you had a distinguished career in journalism far from the travel sector, but you were, you were in the middle of writing a history when you were in college of the Kildare GA. It was a mammoth project. 
it was a big project. It was big. I started writing it um, when I was in secondary school, when I went and interviewed a local character called Jim Archer in Clay, near Skullwirl in Clay, where I went. And he told me this amazing story that they couldn't get Hurleys in the early 1900s and they'd fashioned Hurleys out of Sally trees. Uh, Hurleys are normally made out of ash, but this is what they did. They did it. So what it became was accumulation of stories of old people that I am, all of whom have passed on. I mean, I had this amazing encounter with somebody who's told me that his grandmother hid from the yeomen in the 1798 rebellion. He was a guy um, who was over 100 years of age and prosperous. And as a young teenager, it gave you that tremendous sense of continuity in a community. Um, I had the book, pu- the book was published. It was sponsored by Kildare GA because the GA centenary was coming up in 1984. It gave me a tremendous grounding, not just of local GA history, because I went through every single edition of the Leinster Leader for over a hundred for about 110 years going back. I read a, a load of things like court cases and uh, all the, the the local news that was surrounding the GA I was writing about. And it gave me, at a very young age, a great sense of grounding of my uh, county, my community, something that is was personal to me. But as I've grown older, I've realised it's personal, the length and breadth of the country. Uh, the third, the identity with counties is very strong in Ireland. The identity with community, about 2,000, 2,500 of us, uh, is very, very strong. It's something we've retained and it's something that makes this country quite rich in its heritage, its um, understanding and it's, uh, the way it looks at itself. I know. I mean, it was an extraordinary... I mean, what age were you when the book came out? I was 22 when the book came out. I started writing it at about 15. Um, I was very disciplined in orga- by accident almost in the way I organised it. Uh, so that the, most of the problems with when you write a book, your first book when you're young, is the the roadmap has to be perfect. The roadmap has to be spot on or it loses its focus. It goes off in different shapes. And uh, it, you know, I had that great experience of nurturing it through the printing process, which not everybody gets as well, and understanding it and doing all the marketing of it myself. Um, it was, what, what I got out of it was um, a huge... Uh, an intro into a world that wouldn't really have been easy for a young uh, whippersnapper to get into. Um, I was accepted into old people's company to talk about events long ago. And the reason I was, was that I was very careful to do the newspaper documentary research first. And then I arrived armed with dates and facts. And, and one man was 104 years of age. And I was told by his sons, he could remember nothing. But by the time I produced exact dates, incidents, names, he started talking, talked on for three or four hours, running out of cassette tapes. It was a tremendous night. And he told me about watching uh, in Nace, Charles Stuart Parnell addressing an election meeting. Here I was, one person away from Charles Stuart Parnell. Mm. It was a tremendous um, uh, sense of uh, being part of history and being brought right into history. And it's something I'd recommend very, very highly to people, the length and breadth of the country, uh, track down the old people, listen to them, get a few of the details that will get the stories going because there's full of wisdom there. What I remember most about the book was the size of it. <laughs> it was massive. <laughs> it was 530 pages, Des. It was a tearjerker. Uh, Kildare GA is not full of success, unlike uh, Dublin, where you come from. So it was a bit like the bridges of Madison County. There was a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of crying uh, in almost every chapter. Well, 
through all that, um, your love of music, uh, Sean, now your first track goes back to those early years in your life. Dire Straits, mm. um, I was very, very interested in the exciting sort of sound that they came out with. It was, you know, we went through the traditional glam rock we grew up with, then punk, and I was interested in Mark Knopfler, what he was doing. But what, what uh, the reason I picked this is how when you're young and you're writing and I was into poetry, my first published work was poetry, New Irish Writing, the Irish Press. I was really inspired by one of the lines in this song, which is um, all I do is kiss you through the bars of rain. I remember hearing it on a bus, looking out at the rain and saying how great it was, but I completely misheard it. It's through the bars of a rhyme. And it is and serves to me always as a reminder how a misheard lyric can often be better than the actual one. I know my own, my own daughter grew up singing uh, a Ronan Keating song like, let me be the weasel and let the weasel be loved. Um, when you mishear a lyric, sometimes it creates a whole world, another artistic world beyond what the actual um, uh, rhyme was, which is a perfect rhyme, but yeah. I was much more impressed with what I heard than what uh, was written. But it remains in your head. Will that always be this way, Des. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. That's Dire Straits, Romeo and Juliet, the choice of today's guest, Owen Curry. So, Owen, before you move to the travel sector of, of journalism, you... you Take us through your journalism career. It's an uneven th uh, thirds, three uneven thirds. First as a sports writer, second as a news writer, and then as a travel writer. I enjoyed all of them. If anyone asked me when I was in sport what the greatest uh, job in the world was, I'd have said a sports writer. Now I'd say it's a travel writer. Um, what they, they all did was brought me to great events. Uh, we got to, you get up close, um, both of us were in college together, Ratmine School of Journalism. What it, that did was gave us, um, from a very early age, almost a passport to be present at terrific uh, world, uh, sporting events that we, you will carry forever. I've had, uh, out of news, I had the, the great uh, pleasure of covering Nelson Mandela swearing in in South Africa. And, as, and in travel, I got to see a lot of countries that I would never otherwise get near. Um, what is important to remember as a journalist is that you never become the story. You're always just there on somebody else's behalf. And that applies um, when you're in the press box in Croke Park or Wembley or wherever. It applies when you're actually doing the uh, seeing beautiful places and beautiful resorts and not so beautiful places. It always strikes me as odd that people go to the strangest places on holiday. Mm. I often I just spend all my time finding out why people go to places and what makes them wonderful in somebody else's eyes. Yeah, the Irish Press was a newspaper was a special place for you. Yeah, Sunday Tribune, it was uh, Irish Times where I started. Um, the Sunday Tribune, I was there on two separate occasions, a second as sports editor. The Irish Press was where I spent 10 years. You get very um, attached to the Irish Press. You spend some time there yourself. Mm. They, it, what it became, it was a very large family. It was somewhat dysfunctional family at some levels because the cast of characters there, you had every type of character. <laughs> you had people who um, just were 
did very, very little work, but were marvellous company to be around. You had a, a load of people who would, uh, were tremendous workers who would get the newspaper out if there was a nuclear bomb. They'd still come out the following morning. And there was a small group, uh, which was probably peculiar to the Irish press, of very creative people, uh, always coming up with amazing ideas. You had to be innovative because uh, particularly the Irish press was trailing the other two newspapers in circulation by the time I joined it. Evening press, Sunday press, probably more dominant. But innovation was the word. There was uh, tremendous uh, young writers coming out with um, very artistic, creative copy. And all of them, uh, so many of them, went on to great things after the Irish press closed down. And do you worry about the future of newspapers now? Every day, Des, uh, print journalism has been in such terminal decline. I'd love to meet the guy who decided it was a good idea to put all of our, co our content on, online for free. Uh, once one newspaper had done it, the world followed. It started in America. And what we saw was the decline of great uh, American newspapers closing. Uh, it wasn't too long that we were behind them. If you look at uh, circulation figures, they've been down by about 5% every six months in the ABC. I think the, both the strong groups, the Irish Independent, the Irish Times group, have got a handle on what they were doing online with uh, paywalls, etc. on before COVID-19 uh, struck. That has decimated the advertising market. It's a very uncertain uh, industry among many uncertain industries in the current climate. And I fear that um, the, we may have gone too far. There, there will be newspapers there forever, but there will never be the investment or the money behind them to put money into serious investigative journalism, uh, fine writing, um, it, it, taking risks on things, all the things we grew up with. Very, very hard to see what, will, um, wh what way that will evolve or where that will lead. Your second musical choice is from your time in travel and the parting glass. I've chosen this, Des, because it's a, such a beautiful sentiment. Uh, good night and joy be with you all. And I would spend a lot of time on international groups at conferences, uh, people that don't speak English. One of the great ways of bringing people together is by singing a song. Um, you know, it's not a complicated song. It's not a complicated message. And it leaves everyone with a good taste. It's a song that's evolved a lot uh, in recent years, most recently with Hosier's dedication to the victims of COVID-19, Ed Sheeran has made it famous. Uh, the version I like is way back, the very simple version from my childhood. Uh, Liam Clancy sang it and, and Tommy Makem sang, sang it. Uh, they used to finish the concerts with it. And it's a pretty straightforward sentiment. Um, we, you know, before it became a funeral song, before it became a rallying song for any particular cause, um, let's all, we're finishing up for the evening uh, and ha let's have a joyous goodbye. Um, and it's not a, you know, a permanent goodbye. It's just joy be with you all. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. That's the parting glass from Tommy Makem. Great choice from Owen Corrie, today's guest. Uh, Owen, you mentioned that that song is great when you meet international people and you've had so much international travel. So presumably it's like sports people being asked, who's your favourite player, who's your favourite? Have you a favourite destination to go and visit? The next one, Des, it's very interesting that every time you go somewhere, you find something amazing that you do, even if somewhere you've been many, many times. I have a stock answer. Um, I love India. 
because of the special uh, characteristics of the country. You can, we live in a very homogenized world. We live in a world with the same streetscapes, with the same music playing in wherever you go. But when you go to India, even if there is a McDonald's and the United Colors of Benetton on the street, there's a cow with a hump on its back wandering back up through the middle of the street to remind you that it's a very special place. The very um, special part of India I love most, most of all is very high in the mountains, is Ladakh. It's very uh, Buddhist in a Hindu country, um, very uh, individual. The mountains define everything. The ice flows define everything. You can live on the side of a mountain and look across at a village that you've people there have never visited because it's so far down the valley and so far back up the other side. Truly splendid and very close to heaven if such a place exists. It sounds magnificent, but is travel fundamentally going to change in the future now, Owen, after what we've been through with COVID? We've enjoyed uh, 20 years of instant access to the world, barriers coming down. Uh, the first thing that happened with COVID was the barriers all went up again. I think what we need to see is uh, some sort of shape coming on what uh, travel will look like when we get back. Will people be confident about travelling or will we be huddling into a world of temperature checks and face masks? Um, if you remember the horrible things that happened um, in the after 9-11 with airport security, we could be looking at something similar happening with the to the airport experience, which would kill the joy of travel for an awful lot of people. We're also looking at what happens with our access. We've got um, low-cost airfare access um, to over 200 places from Dublin and all around the world. It's cheaper to fly to Australia now than it was in the 1980s. If the people stop travelling, all of that becomes back to becoming more expensive. It's very uncertain times. I'd love to see a little period of uncertainty, confidence coming back and then returning to a full flow travel and people getting used to a new world where um, they, they, there isn't, they, they, they barriers that were put up uh, are being taken down again. But uh, we're, not, we're a long way from that at the moment. Mm. Your, your third musical choice, Owen Curry, is it's a, it's a GA anthem. The GA anthem is one thing that fascinates me. It all started with the community singing in the 1930s up to the 1950s. Uh, the crowds would all join in a big song. Uh, Abide With Me was the great Wembley one. Faith of Our Fathers was the great Croke Park one. Some of the supporter songs would still, We'll Support You Evermore, would come from that, uh, the origins, the big hymns that were sung. Uh, there are really only three county GA anthems that uh, are set in stone, if such a word exists. Uh, they're the three hurling ones, Leave the Mon for Tipperary, the Banks for Cork, Rose of Mooncoin for Kilkenny. All the rest are transferable. It's very interesting, for instance, Molly Malone only became the Dublin anthem in 1974. 20 Men from Dublin Town was the one before then. The Cur of Kildare... Is it even a Kildare song? It's the county anthem, but I adore it because it uh, conjures up those summer uh, summers in Croke Park when we're all ready for the match and the hope that Kildare will actually win something this year. Uh, we, we leave it to the listeners to work out how often that's happened. And um, I have it on the best of authority, which was back in the 80s, uh, Christy Moore's mother in Maisie Friel's kitchen in uh, Milton Malbay told me that the song was essentially cobbled together by Donald Lunny and Christy Moore out of an old songbook. It uh, wasn't a traditional county song. 
um, in any sense, but it has become the county anthem of Kildare and it always makes my heart beat a little bit faster when I hear it. Yeah, it's it's really interesting what you say about county anthems because uh, listeners would know I present a programme on the eve of the All-Ireland final up for the match and I'm doing it quite a while now. And early on, it was suggested by a producer you know, the same old county songs. Should we not get a young group from those counties, you know, energy, youthful, invigorating? And we did that one year. <laughs> with these lively bands kind of rock, you know, playing something really hip-hop and trendy. And the audience sat there with their arms folded, stared at them. And this, <laughs> They want to hear their county song on the eve of the other. They want to wave their flags and sway from side to side and everyone's singing along. It's interesting they changed, though. I mean, the Flower of Finet was Cavan in 1945. They used, uh, after that, they used Paddy Riley. Boula Vogue used to be the Wexford song. I notice in recent years, Dancing at the Crossroads is the one that's got them swinging in yeah. the aisles. It does change. Uh, but that's a good and, thing. Oh, absolutely. And I, I mean, we can't have it fixed in stone. The three, as I, t- as I said, are not, uh, that can never be touched are the three, uh, the Kilkenny, Tipperary and uh, the, the Cork ones. Uh, for instance, you know, the, the Killarney would have been used by the Kerry team in the 1930s. They changed it to the Rose of Tralee in the 1940s. Mm-hmm. And I notice, um, you know, the Men of the West would have been Galway uh, right up till the 60s. And it became uh, the Fields of Athen Rye in recent years. You know, you, it's, it is, they reflect fashion and change as much as anything else. Yeah, and of course, Christy Moore singing... He's one of the greatest products Kildare has produced and has plenty of good products. Marvellous, marvellous man. He's responsible for two of the great anthems of the 80s. The great rur- uh, rural anthem of the 80s was Liz Varna. I think the great urban anthem was Joxer Goes to Stuttgart. <laughs> um, if you were to rely on somebody, I mean, uh, people say that the history is written by the winners and the uh, real history is written in songs by the losers. I think the man who wrote the history of uh, 1980s Ireland was Christy Moore. Yeah, kind of a national treasure really, isn't he? National Treasures is understating it. All right, so we're going to play out Owen Curry with your third musical choice. And here's to one day you getting that All Ireland final that's so elusive. The Curl of Kildare from Christy Moore. I'm shedding a tear already, Des. <laughs> Owen Curry, thanks a million for joining us. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1.